Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. Final week of Job. Um, who's enjoyed reading Job? It's quite, uh, about three weeks ago, I think, it was three Sundays ago, I had a, a lady come in, she was new. It was her first Sunday and I welcomed her and she asked me, um, so what are you preaching on this morning? I said, Job, and you should have seen her face. Oh, Job. Poor Job. <laughs> and, and, and when you read through Job, it's a difficult book to read. Who's tried to read all 42 chapters of that book? Who's made sense of 42 chapters? It's not easy to get through that. But, you know, I've, I've pointed out some key verses for you throughout this journey that we've gone through, Job. But the biggest one, the one that I want you to hold on to, is which one? What does, what does Job's wife say to Job? Curse God and die. Now, the reason why I want you to hold on to that verse is because there are two very important things that God does not touch in Job's life. He's taken everything else away except his wife and his mates. And his wife's response, curse God and die, was not most probably part of God's plan. His friends coming out and saying what they were saying the whole time through was most probably not part of God's plan. So poor old Job not only gets whammed with everything else in life, he doesn't have the support, the fellowship, the love around him has deserted him completely. It's a tough thing. Well, now we're getting to the end. We're in chapter 42, and guess what? We've heard from Job, we've heard from his mates, and now we're going to hear from God. And he makes quite an impact on Job. In fact, when you read in verse 42, from verses 1 to 6, this is Job's response. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you will make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Wow, after 42 chapters of toing and froing, he is finally presented before God. All the questions that he had in his heart, all the things that were running through his head, it's all there. And now I've got God. He's right here. I can see him. And what's his response? Wow. That's an about turn if you've ever heard one. It's an interesting thing. When you go through the Bible and people encounter God, have you ever noticed their reactions? Adam and Eve, they hid. Moses shook at the burning bush. Isaiah said, I am a dead man. The disciples cowered in the boat 
as the one they were following calmed the storm. And Paul took three days to recover after his Damascus experience, huh? There's one thing you do notice when people encounter God. Do you notice any laughter? Do you notice any matter of fact about it? Any blase, oh, he's God. (laughs) Hey, God. Do you notice any of that? No. No. It's actually quite overwhelming. It's, it's powerful. It, it, it is just incredible. It's an experience that we read in the Bible. It's just wow. And it leads most people to this verse. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. It leads them to this point. Why? Because they don't seem so jocular around God. They don't seem so hey, casual and blase. He's my buddy kind of thing. And this is something that sometimes I feel we take for granted. Now, there is that sense of Abba Father, Daddy God. But there's also this sense that He is God. Now, a lot of people ask me, what does that mean? Do I have to fear God? Well, actually, you've got to kind of break that down and understand what do they mean by the fear of God. Why does Job respond the way he does in chapter 42? Why doesn't he just take it up with him? He's, he's been wondering what's going on in his life. Why doesn't he challenge God there? But the moment God shows up, boom, the fear of God is over him. What does that mean? Well, I've broken it into three parts. The first one, our God is powerful. Our God is powerful. Has anyone been able to avoid the God-given law of limited life? Huh? Anyone chosen their birth? Please tell me. And for the majority of us, we won't choose our death either. You know, I love Europe. I lived in Rome six years. I love it because it stinks of history. You could just smell it. It's everywhere. You walk through Rome. You can't. I mean, the Romans are just so blasé about it now that we lived in an apartment building and it had a little card, you know, with a date when it was built, 1542. And, you know, I said, this is older than the nation. I can't, well, older than the city that I was born in, you know. You think, my goodness, they just treat it like it's whatever. In Australia, we've got this little, in Sydney, we've got this little house in the rocks, you know, from 1801. And it's like everyone goes there on school trips, you know. And here I'm thinking, I'm in a building from 1500s, you know. I'm like, wow. But they don't care. You walk past the Colosseum like it's just another ice cream store in the middle of the park, you know. Um, It stinks of history, but when you look at it, The one thing you notice is that it's decaying. It's falling apart. There's an interesting... uh, The the doctor, uh, uh, Alexander the Great's doctor, when they were conquering most of uh, the Middle East and going into Asia, they passed these ruins and they couldn't identify what these... And he was writing in his journal, we can't identify these ruins. So he asked people around him and they assumed it was what was left of Nineveh. 
just blown in the sand and ruins. You go to Israel, there's ruins. A testimony to the fact that no matter what we do, it will decay over time. How powerful is our God who never decays, who is all-powerful. All-powerful. I am that I am. I begin ending all one. It's a powerful God. Who can speak and make the universe come? We're still trying to figure out our own bodies, let alone the stars. I was reading in, uh, in Discovery, I'm a big Discovery fan, Discovery Channel fan, and I've got their magazine and I read through the whole thing. And they, they discovered that they were trying to mimic. Who's a Star Trek fan? Star Trek fans, there's a few of them, there's one at the back there. You know, there's one thing all Star Trek fans really would love to see happen, and that's the whole transporter thing. You know, when you kind of beam me up, Scotty kind of thing, and I'm there, you know, it avoid the whole thing of plane traveling, which I don't really like that much. Um, but there's this whole thing, and they discovered that if they were to do such a thing, that means they'd have to break down the whole human body into information. And they said it's mathematically impossible because the amount of information in one human being is beyond anything that not only have we thought of, that we can even think of. There is more information in a human body than there are stars in the sky. That's how complex we are. And God created us with a bit of dust. How powerful is our God? Huh? Huh? A little bit of an earth shaking sends us running. How much more powerful is our God? A volcano erupts, frightens us. How much more powerful is our God? We need to understand this. You know, the one thing I like about the Catholic Church is when you walk into there, you are overwhelmed in any Catholic church, especially in Rome, you walk in and you are overwhelmed by the awness of what's there. It's almost humanity trying to mimic the greatness of God. And it makes you feel about that big. And we as Baptists, sometimes we lose that. We do, we lose that. Our God is powerful. This is what... He says, Job, my ears had heard you. We hear about him every Sunday, don't we? Those of you who come to church, you might read about it. You hear about it, but now that my eyes have seen you, all of a sudden there's a change in Job. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know what? Who am I to question God? It's not something we Christians like to think about, how powerful our God is. We like to think about our God is love. And he is. He is a God of love. What kind of God, after listening to these four mortals bickering over what God is and what he isn't, comes out and says, you're all guilty, but I'll reward you. What kind of God is that? It's a God of love. Because with power comes his love. There's this story. 
It's fictional, so don't worry, it's not true. This man dies, he goes to heaven. St. Peter's up there in heaven, meets him at the gate, and uh, the guy comes up and he goes, okay, this is how it works. Okay, what, how, what do I need? You need 100 points to get into heaven. I goes, okay. He goes, for all the good things that you've done in life, we're going to add up the points, and if you get to 100, you're in. So, what have you got for me? And the guy's like, well, I've been married 50 years, never cheated on my wife. Ooh, that's really good. 50 years, he said, yep, never cheated on her, both in my heart or physically. Wow, that's worth three points. <laughs> what? Three points? Are you kidding me? Oh, okay, I've got to think of something. Went to church every Sunday. Faithfully tithed, was part of a ministry. I did that all my life. Oh, really? All your life? He goes, all my life. Hmm, that's two points. Oh, my goodness, I'm in trouble. Okay, I've got to think through this. He's starting to get a bit worried here because he's thinking, yeah, that's five points. I still need another 95. Um, I thought I just gave him my best shot. Okay, um, I, I, started, I started a food bank and, 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 a, and a meal service for the poor in our city, and, and I did that for 25 years. Oh, man, that's really good. I'll give you a point for that. And he goes, oh, man, I still need 94 points. What can I do? <laughs> I really need the grace of God. Peter's like, what? In your case, that's worth 94 points. Come on in. The grace of God is so big. So big. That no matter what good you do on this earth, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how perfect some of you guys think you are. You still fall way short. And it's only by the grace of God. Romans has this great verse. It's two verses, okay? You've got to, you put them together and it's fantastic. 23, verse 23 says this, For all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one in this room that hasn't sinned, right? Who, who, who hasn't sinned? Please, let us all step away from you. We've all sinned, okay? No one here is... We've all sinned. And then the next verse. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Don't tell me God is not about love. Don't tell me He's not about love. Just, just let that sink in for a moment. Because the next one's going to be tougher than anything you've ever heard. And we Kiwis are going to have a hard time digesting it. Because our God is God. Our God is God. This is going to be tough. We get to the end of the book of Job. All these questions. And remember the first week I told you I'd give you an answer? Here it comes. All these questions that Job has. All these things 
that they've been debating on chapter after chapter. Really tough to read stuff. Kind of sheep counting things that will put you to sleep at night. And we get to the end. And there are no answers to the questions. Instead, there's a command. What? (laughs) Command? After all that's gone on, you're commanding me? Well, this is what he says. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job will, shall pray for you. He doesn't say, I'll ask my servant Job. Have you noticed that? I'll ask him to pray for you all. No, he shall pray for you. Again, there's the command. He shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Nahamite went and did what the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. What got Job his fortunes back? Praying for his friends. The ones that took him for a ride for 35 chapters. If you pray for them, you get your fortunes back. That doesn't make sense. Who here thinks that makes sense? Because if it does make sense to you, you're a better man than me, or better woman, or I'm not a woman, better person than me. It doesn't make sense. But you know what does make sense? How God is God. Here's Job with a ton of questions. He wants his answers. And how many here have gone through rough times and you are demanding answers? I do. We demand the answers. Well, if you can't answer this question, I've had people tell you, you can't answer this question, well, then what's the point of believing in your God? Oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. There's no explanation as to why God treated Job the way he did. There is no apology from God There is no, hey, buddy, let me put my arm around you. Sorry, it was a bit of a test, you know. Just trying to check you out, buddy. Nothing like that. Instead, there's a demand on Job to forgive his friends and to pray for them. And the expectation that he will forgive them and that he will pray for them. Our God is God. And this doesn't sit very comfortably with most of us. Well doesn't sit comfortably with me sometimes. But this is the difficulty of Job. That we need to come to a place where we accept God as God. That you know what? We won't have the answers. I had a friend of mine once, we were back in Bible college, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven, then I'll know everything. I said, what, you're intending to be God, are you? Yeah, yeah, when you get to heaven, you're not going to know everything, because if you know everything, you'll be God. 
There's got to be a point in which, in our relationship with God, that we just step back. He's God. And that should actually be enough for us. It's not easy being a Christian. It's not easy. I've had many a debate, and those of you who follow me on Facebook, you've heard and seen and read my debates. I had a debate about a year or two ago with a friend who says, oh, you Christians, oh, you know, all lovey-dovey and all this. Oh, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You think it's easy to be a Christian? Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself and what? Take up his cross and follow me. You know what? In the Roman world, when you took up your cross, where were you going? You were going to die a very horrible death. You know, I've had some people tell me, oh, I've got to go to work. Well, that's my cross to bear. Ooh, I know it's vernacular. I know we're just... But you're minimizing a very significant command that our Lord is giving us. If you're not willing to deny yourself, to take up that cross, ooh, this is tough. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You know, I'm not sugarcoating Christianity this morning very well, am I? But this is the difficulty of reading something like Job. Because at the end of the day, we've got to stand back and say, what is most important in my life? What is it? For Job, it was his family. His, he had everything. And he believed God. But when that was all taken away, his life was rocked. But the moment he saw God, in that moment... Everything he lost was forgotten. Because the most important thing just showed up in his life. John 6, 66-67. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Why do you think he said that? Why do you think they left? What, what drove them away? Hmm? The cost was too much. Being a Christian is not easy. It ain't easy at all. In fact, the cost is pretty high. We don't feel that here at the moment. But I've got friends in Italy who have come out of the Catholic faith into Protestantism, into a Christian church. Their families have completely disowned them. 
I don't know if you know what that means to an Italian, but it means a lot. Because family's everything. And all of a sudden the door's shut on them. Why? Because now they believe in a real, a vibrant Jesus. And so they are thrown out. What is the cost of following Jesus? For them, it's losing their families. The fellowship they had. And for an Italian, let me tell you, I can't even begin to tell you how much that would hurt. What is the cost of following Jesus? And you know, Jesus shows his humanness in this verse. I love it. Because those close to him, he's worried about losing them. What about you guys? What are you guys going to do? Are you going to leave me too? There's the humanness of Jesus coming out. The love that he's poured out on his friends and they may go. Their response was, no, you have the word of life. You have the eternal word in you. How can we leave you? How could we leave you? We've left everything for you. The biggest problem we face today as Christians is not the marriage issue. Let me just say that really clearly. It's not the marriage issue. It's not even the financial stability of this country. It's not the way we take communion. It's not what version of the Bible you're reading. The biggest problem we face today are the idols in our lives that draw us away from God and not bring us closer to him. That is the biggest problem we face here at Apawa. Here in Christchurch, the idols in our lives that pull us away from God. The moment Job had nothing in his life, he met God. He had heard all about him. The moment he was gone, everything was gone. It was just him. He met God. 1 John. Oh, actually, let me. This is a Rob quote. I should have put the little Rob thing under there just to. No. God wants total obedience, and whatever distracts you in life from him has no place. Now, that, that, that's actually quite, quite a big comment to make. But let me go a step further. I'll go into 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. And we can be sure that we know him if we... What? Okay. So this is really important. Because to know God is to... Know... Obedience. Obedience, no. Okay? Both are conscious decisions to make. There's nothing about feelings in there. Did you notice that? Keeping going. If anyone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar, is not living the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? Died on a cross. He gave up everything and followed the command of the Father in heaven. Are you getting this point? Is it coming across? 
It's all tough, isn't it, though, eh? It's Sunday morning, Rob. Give me a break. Still digesting breakfast. This is tough. But if you want to understand the book of Job, we're encapsulating it all in one handful. How much are you willing to give up your children for God? How much are you willing to give up the life that you've built up for God? Because when Abraham took Isaac up that hill, he was prepared to give up the promise that God had laid out for him through Isaac. He was prepared to give up his son because his relationship with God was more important. How many people right now are fidgeting in their seats? I can see you guys moving and squirming. It's not an easy thing, is it? Because sometimes our children become our idols. I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say, I can give up my children any time for God. Please do it now. (laughs) I'm sorry, babies. They're all sitting there. (laughs) No, I'm not a hypocrite. These girls know I stress just for them walking to school. They're my babies. They're an extension of me. I'm happy, happy to spoil them. I don't care what anyone says. They're my kids. You're going to ask me to take one of their lives for you, Lord? But that's the question you need to think about. Is God more important than your children? Is God more important than your future? For those of you who are young here who don't have children, or those of you who may not be young who don't have children, are you willing to give up everything you have for God? Because the difficulty in that is we come back to this verse. Don't we? That's a hard teaching, Rob. That's just, I can't do that. And then walk away. Our God is God. He is God. And whatever happens in this life, the moment you die, the moment you're on your deathbed, He ain't counting your children. He ain't counting your wealth. He's not counting how good you've been. He's counting how loyal you've been to him and following his plan for you. Now, let me give you some words of hope because that's kind of tough to, to hear on a Sunday morning, isn't it? There's a boy. Um, this is a story that happened in South Florida and uh, he apparently came home after school. It was a hot day, muggy day. Um, they lived on a, on, a, on a ranch, and in the back of the ranch there was this big pond where the boy would go swimming quite often. And this day apparently was so hot that he got home, basically dropped his school bag on the front door there, and he ran out the back, taking his clothes off in the process of the running, and jumped straight into the water. Uh, and his mother was looking out from the kitchen, 
And she noticed as he was swimming out, she saw some movement of water on the other side of this big pond and realised it was an alligator. She came running out screaming to her son. The son noticed and heard the screaming, realised what the problem was and turned around and started swimming right back. And as she got to the dock and grabbed his hands, the alligator grabbed his legs. And this struggle, I can't imagine, I don't know about you guys, but for me, man, holding on to my kid and having an arm wrestle or a tug of war with, a, with an alligator and my kid's in the middle of it, I can't imagine. But apparently there was blood all over the waters. The waters are being stained with the blood. She was yelling. A guy, she was yelling so loud that a guy in a truck that was driving by and he heard the yells, stopped his truck, saw what was going on from a distance, grabbed his gun. Good old America, they've got their guns everywhere. Grabbed the gun, okay? Amen for guns. Ran down there, killed the alligator, and the boy ended up in hospital for several weeks. Now, like good boys do, coming out of hospital, gets held up by a news reporter, and he wants to brag about all the scars he's got on his legs. And the reporter goes, show us the scars. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he's like, pulls up, look at that. And that well, that's cool. He goes, but I've got something even better to show you. And the reporter goes, what? And he pulls up his, his sleeves, and there's all these scars on his arms. This is from my mum, who wouldn't let me go. Her nails had dug into him as she was trying to hold him. And that imagery is the same with the Lord. He is holding on to you. And sometimes the hurt and the pains of life, the idols that draw us away from him, he's holding on. And we feel the pain. We don't understand it sometimes. But some of that pain is from him not wanting to let you go. Because at the end of the day, God wants to bless you. At the end of the day, God wants you to thrive. Whether it's here or in Hong Kong. He wants you to thrive. But he wants you to put him first in your life. So trust him. Obey him. He's not going to come after your kids, don't worry. But sometimes the hurt and the pains that we feel, it comes from him holding on tight. He's holding on for you. What a good God we have. God is love. God is powerful. And he is our God. Our God. Amen. Ask our worship team to come up. I always look at the scars on my legs and not realize the scars on my arms. I see the scars of this life that affect me, that have hurt me, the pool of people and of, of things, and not realize there's God holding on tight. There's God holding on tight. Father God, thank you for who you are. Forgive us, Lord, that sometimes we are not obedient and that sometimes we just kind of neglect the fact that you are all-powerful. But thank you, Lord, that in the midst of all that, that you love us. And that, yeah, it's not easy 
And yeah, not all our questions will have answers. But I know for a fact that you love us. And that you're holding on tight. I pray for those of us, Lord, who for a while have been looking at those scars on our legs and the ashes of the hurt and the pain in our lives. May they just come to realise that you are holding on tight. That you are holding on tight. Father, I... Just bless us, Lord, I pray. Hold us in your arms forever, Lord. And for those who are struggling this morning, lift them up, I pray, Lord. And for those of us who, like last week, we were talking about the rain clouds and the storm clouds in our life, for those of us who are in that storm, bring about, Lord, your covering. And for those who are seeing the blue skies, Lord, just show them your love. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.